go to Nehemiah chapter number 13. You just, you just sat down so you don't have to stand again this morning. Nehemiah chapter number 13, if you would please. I want to preach to you uh, from a thought here in verse number 2, and I'll show you what it is when we get there. The Bible says in Nehemiah chapter number 13, On that day they read in the book of Moses, in the audience of the people, and therein was found written that the Ammonite and the Moabite should not come into the congregation of God forever, because they met not the children of Israel with bread and with water, but hired Balaam against them, that he should curse them. Howbeit our God turned the curse into a blessing. That's what I want to preach to you on this morning is turning the curse into a blessing or turning the blessing into a curse. Let's pray and we'll ask God to bless the preaching. I'm going to pick on Brother Yoakum. Uh, would you mind uh, praying for the, for the preaching, brother? Thank you. Father in heaven, we thank you again for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for uh, just a good song service, Lord, that lifts you up. Lord, we thank you for uh, just a good God to be able to go to with uh, such, uh, such complicated prayers. We just thank you so much for your mercy and grace. Lord, I ask you to come this morning and meet with us. Walk up and down the corridors of our heart, Lord, and speak to us individually as the pastor brings a message. God, giving clarity of what he's going to preach and Father, giving the words that you have him to preach. Father, if there is here today one lost, Lord, just doesn't know that free pardon of sin. Father, I pray they do not leave this morning without receiving Jesus Christ. We thank you again for your mercy and your grace. Amen. All right. Now, taking this thought, a curse, God turned a curse into a blessing. It's a really interesting thought, isn't it? Uh, but the fear for me is me taking the blessing God's given me and turning it into a curse. As you know, we've been going through the book of Nehemiah. This is the last chapter in the book now this morning. And here God's people have, as you all know, but for the sake of those who may be visiting with us, um, just to understand briefly, Israel had been carried off into captivity because they'd sinned against God. And what had happened is they destroyed the walls of Jerusalem and the temple of God had been messed up and all the rest of that. And so years before Nehemiah, about 10 years or so before Nehemiah comes on the scene, Ezra had gone back to Jerusalem and rebuilt the temple, which was the place of worship for God's people. Reminding you again that that place had been destroyed because of God's people's sin and the enemy that had come in and wiped it all out because God's people had left God. And they had lost the blessing, the presence of God, the worship of God, the temple of God. They'd lost that. That blessing had been turned into a curse because of their sin, because they stopped listening to God, because they wouldn't live by the word of God. They wouldn't follow what God had said. Their relationship with the Lord had fallen apart and they quickly went off into sin and God sent them preacher after preacher after preacher. God sent them prophets telling them and warning them and they wouldn't listen to God's warning by his long suffering, by his goodness, by his patience. He kept trying to tell them and they wouldn't stink and listen. And so since they wouldn't listen, God finally had to send the judge judgment that would get their attention so they got carried off into captivity and then God begins to work and move and all the mess that had now become Israel once a very powerful nation with the blessing of God on it and the peace of God on it the prosperity of God on it now they're destroyed carried off wrecked and ruined they're miserable like some of you are this morning not being mean 
I'm just saying, some of you are miserable and you can't find happiness or joy anywhere. You think you'll find it in a bottle. You think you'll find it in a joint. You think you'll find it in some kind of a substance. But you're not finding it because your relationship with God is not what it ought to be. And until you get that straightened out, you're going to stay in that state. Not only are you wrecking yourself, but you're going to wreck everything around you until you come off your pride and say, God, I need some help. And I'm willing to get as low as I got to get to get the help I need because I can't handle this anymore. God had sent Ezra back and Ezra rebuilt the temple. And then sometime later, God sends Nehemiah back, who was a cupbearer to the king, to the king that had them in captivity. God had given him a great opportunity to work his way up the ranks there. And he's right by the king. So God uses Nehemiah's position to put him in a place where he can ask the king, hey, I need to go back and seek the welfare of my people. Can I go back and rebuild the walls? And God works in politics and all the rest of that stuff to go ahead. Don't think that that was like, oh, hopefully Trump makes it in. God working in politics, you know, God uses wicked people to get his own work done. And maybe God working in politics means the person you don't want in next gets in. Why would God let a liberal in there? Maybe to put some pressure on the church to wake us up. So God had worked in politics with the king to bring Nehemiah back to build the walls of Jerusalem. Now as we get to the end of the chapter, the walls are up, the gates are on, the bars are set. What what I want you to notice is God has brought Israel a great blessing. Visitors asking me this morning, we kind of getting to know each other a little bit and talking about, you know, whatnot. And then he said, well, how long have you been the pastor here? So, well, since it started. You know what that is? That's almost 15 years of a blessing. To me, it's an amazing thing to see what God has done and to watch you all walk in the door and to feel the buzz in the room and the excitement in the room and the the family feeling that we have in our church. It's a wonderful thing. I mean, man, I'm so thrilled with what God has done. Listen, behind the scenes, there's been a lot of ups and a lot of downs. There have been so many good times, and I mean unbelievably good times, exciting times. God has worked miracles for this little church. The pew you're sitting in is a miracle for a church like this. You know, you're sitting on $28,000. You realize that, right? That's a number from about 13 years ago. They told us these pews alone cost 28 grand. You know, we have, God gave us a debt-free building and a debt-free piece of property. I mean, this thing is absolutely amazing. All that God has done and all the work, the miracles, the joys, the excitements, watching our little kids go from being the age of some of your kids to playing the piano and not just in the youth group, out of the youth group. I mean, we have a youth group. That's an awesome thing. That's an exciting thing. And we got more coming into the, it's great to have nurseries and kids in the nurseries and all that has gone into it, the ups, the downs, the quitting points. The setbacks. Man, have we had some setbacks. We've had the adversary come and put the pressure on us to try to stop the work. And to see God has brought us through it all and given us such a blessing that we have this morning, a a local church that's no longer an infant church. It's no longer a brand new church. There's some stability here. There's a foundation here. There's some walls up. There really is some worship of God going on in this place, and it's a wonderful thing. What a blessing. The God that can turn a curse into a blessing is the same God that will allow us to take a blessing and turn it into a curse. Because the God that established and built Israel and got them to that place 
was the same God that said, listen, if you don't listen, if you don't start listening, if you don't take your hands off of your own life and let me run it, if you don't live by what I say, if you don't acknowledge that book, if you don't do what you're told, I, that same God, will allow the enemy to come in there and tear down what you've built up, what I've done through you. God will allow that, and it is the blessing of God that allows the difficult times because those times get your attention back on God. They help God's people realize that blessing isn't just free. That blessing isn't just expected. That blessing isn't something that I just deserve. That is the goodness and grace and mercy of Almighty God. It is something we ought to take very seriously and thank God for and treasure and be careful you don't turn your blessing into a curse. What you don't realize is I'm not just up here ranting this morning. I am preaching from many, many years of my own and I'm not sounding like a... I, I don't think of myself the way I just sounded, but... Many, many years of personal experience. That Christadelphian church around the corner wasn't even there as a Christadelphian church. It wasn't even there when I was 11 years old and my dad was the pastor out here meeting in Bartlett Elementary downtown. And my dad took that church. They had already laid the foundation, but the building wasn't built yet. I remember walking through that building because that was Maranatha Bible Baptist Church, later changed to Heritage Baptist Church. But that was my dad's church. That was a blessing. Now it's a Christadelphian church. Do you know what that you know what a Christadelphian is? It's a cult. It's a hodgepodge of JW and other stuff. They don't believe in salvation by grace through faith. They don't preach the Bible like like you do. They believe you earn your salvation and we're all little gods. It's a new agey sort of a almost a affiliated similar in some ways to the JWs, some some similar doctrines and that was that was a, a blessing that the devil turned into a curse. See, to me, it's not a light thing that God's allowed us to be here. Amen. And that something's happening. I treasure what God has given us. To me, this isn't just, oh, that little church on 10 Mile. That might be that to other people, and I, I, I understand that. Not to me. You see, God's given me a wife. We celebrated 20 years just back in June. That's a blessing. You know what you can do with your blessings? You can turn them into a curse. You know what God's given me? Four daughters. I understand now why God gave me all girls. I needed girls. It's just the long and short of it. It was what I needed. It's been the greatest blessing in my life. It's great to be able to be a father. Do you understand what I mean by that? I mean, do you guys ever stop and, like, stop and think about that? Your influence as a father. Like, you actually can influence the lives of these, this little baby that you're holding that begins to develop and begins to grow. And then there's transition processes in life, right? So like I don't treat my teenage daughters the same way I treated them when they were toddlers. I have to adjust the way I interact with my children so that I can be a father to my kids. The day's coming that they're going to be married and They're going to be moving on with their life, and I'm going to have to continually adjust who I am and how I operate with my child in order to be continually changing, like we talked about Wednesday night. That's just just the way I am! Okay, idiot, but I'm 45 years old. I'm not three anymore. You try to whoop me with a paddle, and I'm, I'm not going to hurt you, but I'm not going to let you whoop me with a paddle. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not three anymore. Do you get what I'm trying to say? 
you got to make those adaptations. You know what you need? You need God's help with that because what a blessing it is that God's given you children. What a blessing it is God's given you a wife. What a blessing it is God's given you a job. God's given you a church. It's a great thing if God's in your life and if you've given your heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ at salvation. If you've never been saved, then this message is really not for you this morning. You need to get saved. You need to know that when you die, if you die today, because you could. I don't care if you're the epitome of health. You could. You don't know what's going on, what could be going on in your mind, in your brain, in your heart, in your body. You could have an aneurysm. You could have a stroke. You could have something life-changing happen to you overnight that you don't even see coming. You have no promise of tomorrow. You better know that your sins are forgiven, that Jesus Christ is your Savior, and that you're on your way to heaven. The most important thing you could ever know, that's what I really want to get through your head, is you've got to know what that book says about your soul because the Lord Jesus Christ loves you, and it's a life-changing thing to know from the Bible not religion, that you're saved and on your way to heaven. It's a wonderful thing. But man, once you got that, you got a treasure. You're beginning to try to build a, a Christian life, and it's a blessing. You know what the devil wants to do? He wants to turn the blessing into a curse. Let me tell you something about your adversary, the devil. If you're trying to serve Jesus Christ, he will not stop. Do you understand me? The devil is relentless. He's not running out of energy. He's running out of time, which makes him more dangerous. But he is relentless. He's not going to stop. You say, okay, why do I get breaks? Because of God. Do you understand that? The only reason throughout your life the pressure alleviates for a little while and it's not constantly relentless is because God says that's enough, back off. He, he's real good to me. God says, Reagan's weak. <laughs> he can't take any more than that, so you're done now. But if God backs off, lets that hedge drop, have you read the book of Job? He will stop at nothing to ruin everything you got. He'll stop at nothing to ruin your relationship with your local church. He'll stop at nothing to ruin your marriage. He'll stop at nothing to ruin your children. He'll stop at nothing to ruin your mind. He'll do anything and everything he can to destroy you if God wasn't the one taking care of you. And when God allows him to do some things, that's just God. You'll be okay because your heavenly father, he sure ain't going to allow him to destroy his children. He's not going to give you more than what you can handle. That'll take you to the next level between you and the Lord. And I praise God for that. But the devil is relentless. So you got to understand the walls are up. The gates are on. The breaches are repaired. The temples restored. Everything's going wonderful. Thank the Lord for that. Hey, listen, that doesn't mean you can relax and take the blessing and say, thank God I got the blessing. Everything's okay. Be careful because the devil wants to turn that blessing back into a curse and he'll get you when you least expect it. And it's God that'll get you through it because any curse the devil puts on you, God can turn into a blessing. I've been divorced. Okay. That's a curse. See, I've been preaching to people that aren't yet divorced, right? But we got a whole bunch of our church, just if it comforts you at all, a whole bunch of our church has been divorced. I mean, a lot. But guess what? Well, that's a curse. Well, in some cases, maybe not so, but <laughs> just, just kidding. Just kidding. It was a joke. Just kidding. That's a curse, right? You know what God can do with a curse? He can turn it into a blessing. I thank God for that because that's, that's just been the case in my life. 
You know, it's super easy to throw Romans 8.28 at somebody when they're going through it, you know, when we preach against doing that, being so super spiritual. Oh, Romans 8.28, brother. Okay, thank you, I know. <laughs> but in all reality, Romans 8.28's in the Bible, ain't it? And all things do work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Notice how interesting this is, though, because the devil comes in here and he begins at the end of Nehemiah, once they got the walls up, once they got the gates on, once they got the bars on, the worship is restored, everything's going in good. Then we get this chapter that's all messed up, man. Look at verse number four. And before this, and before what? Well, go back to verse one. On that day, what day? Well, after chapter 12. So they'd had this great dedication ceremony we preached on last week. They had this wonderful time together where everything's done. It's all built. It's all going good. And they dedicate this thing to God like, man, God's doing something great. And we're having this great worship service and we're going to do everything the right way. And they're all on fire for God. So on that day, they read in the book of Moses. So he's standing up there on that day and he's like, everything's good, man. We're serving God. We got the job done. God stopped all the adversaries. Now we have a church and we're really getting going for the Lord. And so he's reading that Bible and they're beginning to realize as they read the Bible, we still have issues. Hey, did you hear me? We still have issues. You know there ain't a church anywhere where you're not going to still have issues. Do not expect perfection out of me or yourself. Now, I understand that's not an excuse for me to hide behind, well, I'm not perfect past the joint. I'm not talking about that kind of stupidity. But guess what? We still got issues. And while they're gathered together and they're reading in the book of Moses, in the audience of the people, so it's, it's open and it's honest. It's like, open your Bibles and turn to Nehemiah chapter number 13 and let's look at what the Bible says. Now, here we are, a bunch of sinful people standing in front of a holy book of God and we're looking into that book and we're going like, okay, what's it say? And then God calls everybody out on the carpet, including the preacher. This is Bible Believers Church, right? So you know when you come, you're getting the Bible. And that means he's perfect and we know we're not. That book says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one, right? So when we open that book, that book exposes who we are. That's why a lot of people don't like this kind of preaching. But then they'll hide it behind, well, I mean, I don't mind the Bible, but I just don't like that preacher. I don't know why he has to raise his voice and move around. Because you're trying not to fall asleep. You want to come and sit there and be lulled to sleep and make sure, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to come over there and just pet your ego and make sure I make everybody happy. That's not what this is about. This is about something that's dedicated to Almighty God. And this is about us coming in here on Sunday morning saying, I want to worship the Lord. Study your Bible. When they worship God, they have to make a sacrifice to God. Hey, that sacrifice no longer is a lamb or a turtle dove. That sacrifice is me and my pride and my ego and my 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 will to do things my own way saying God I'm wrong and you're right and you showed me I'm wrong and so I'll get it right if that's the sacrifice you want because I'm worshiping you but that's not what people want from church today I'm tired of it don't stink and look at me like I'm some kind of a therapist that's above my pay grade now I'm not saying I won't counsel you I'm not saying that I I want to I, I, I mean I don't I'm not turning myself into a counselor. I'm saying, if you need somebody to talk to, I'm happy to do that. But this isn't a therapy session, a group self-help session. We're here to hear from God. 
And in order to do that, we got to open the book and read it in the audience of all the people. And then we got to recognize when you open up a holy book like that, that Bible, one of the things it does is it shows you where you're wrong. I'll tell you, it does a lot more than just that. But that's kind of the context this morning. Let me say it again. The Bible does a lot more than just show you where you're wrong. You know, sometimes it shows you where you're right. Sometimes it doesn't do either. It just sits there on the couch in the morning and it wraps its, its holy hands around you and it just gives you a hug. Well, that's corny. Well, get out of my face, man. I, sorry, I know I'm not touchy-feely much, but listen, I'm telling you, the Bible sometimes just sits down and gives you a hug. It's an amazing book. But in the context here, it's correcting them because they realize it's written, the Ammonite and the Moabite should not come into the congregation of God forever. Because they met not the children of Israel with bread and with water, but hired Balaam against them that he would curse them. Howbeit our God turned the curse into a blessing. Now it came to pass when he had heard the law that they separated from Israel all the mixed multitude. When they had heard the law that they separated from Israel all the mixed multitude. So what happened is when they heard him reading, they said, oh, whoa, wait a minute, time out. That just corrected us. What that said is exactly what I'm doing, and it said I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing. So since God said I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing, I'm going to stop what I'm doing so I can be right with God. So the congregation stopped and said, nope, that's not who we are. What we are is sinners, but what we're here for is him, and since he said this should happen, stop. we got a mixed multitude here. We've allowed the world into the church. We've allowed the Ammonite and the Moabite who are against us to come be a part of us. And you've got that case in churches all over this nation today. That's actually the going thing. Let me tell you something. The time will come soon when we could have legal troubles because we won't allow certain things. That's the way it is. Well, guess what? Then bring them on. Because I'm not against the government. I've never been against the government. I'm not against authority. I'm not against the cops. But I will not disobey God to please a man or spare my own life if God will help me with it. I won't disobey God to make anybody happy, not even you. I'm not here for the paycheck, but I do appreciate it. (laughs) Amen. Amen. So what he's saying is, we got a mess here. Now look at verse 4. Why did they have that mess? And before this... So not on this day. Before this, Eliashib the priest, having the oversight of the chamber of the house of our God, was allied unto Tobiah. And he had prepared for him a great chamber where aforetime they laid the meat offerings and the frankincense and the vessels and the tithes of the corn and the new wine and the oil, which was commanded to be given to the Levites and to the singers and to the porters and to the offerings of the priests. But in all this time was not I at Jerusalem. See that? For in the two and thirtieth year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, came I unto the king, and after certain days obtained I leave of the king. And I came to Jerusalem and understood the evil that Eliashib did for Tobiah in preparing him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. So let me make sure you understand what's happening. What had happened is Nehemiah is doing all this work, right? He'd been sent by the king to come to rebuild the walls. So he's rebuilding the walls. But the king gave him leave to go do that. So at a certain time, Nehemiah had to go back to the king to check back in with the king. So Nehemiah goes back to the king, checks back in with the king, and he's there for a certain length of time, giving the king a a catch-up on all that's going on, fulfilling his duties there. Then the king says, he says, hey, listen, I got more work to do back there. I got things really kind of moving. Everything's sort of set, but I need to get back over there. So he goes ahead and says, okay, I give you more leave to go back to Jerusalem. So Nehemiah went back to Jerusalem. But during that interim, while he was out of town, 
cats away, the mice play. While he's gone, the devil said, there's my opportunity. When the leadership was distracted and out doing something else, the devil said, now I got my chance. And evil men in that crew over there saw their opportunity. And so what Eliashib, the high priest, does, who had the oversight, he goes ahead and allies himself to to Tobiah, who's an Ammonite. Tobiah had been resisting Nehemiah the whole time. Tobiah had been criticizing Nehemiah the whole time, making up stories about Nehemiah the whole time, lying about Nehemiah the whole time. I know this kid for a fact. Listen, I've heard lies, absolute straight-up lies about good, godly, Bible-believing preachers that have no more on their testimony, no more on their reputation, did not do anything, and evil, demon-possessed, I'm not kidding you, dope-headed idiots get mad and go and say, hey, he's doing this, that, and I want to send messages out to the whole church. Hey, you know, preachers, this, that, and the other. Vile accusations. You know what happens every time they do that? It falls flat on their face because if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it. The happily you be found to fight against God. And I realize that a lot of preachers make mistakes and, excuse me, preachers do wicked things and I would never back them, not for a second. I would never back them. I am not for like he committed this heinous, immoral crime. Keep him in the pulpit. We're all supposed to forgive him. Nope, you violated your terms of office and said, well, we forgive other people and let them in the church if they're really repentant. Yeah, he's forgiven, but he lost his privilege of being the leader in that place at that time. I'm sorry. There's a higher standard hold that's held to somebody who wears the uniform than there is to the average person. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about wicked Tobias and wicked Eliashibs who go ahead and manipulate the church so that they can get their own agenda done because they're right from the devil. They're trying to take the blessing that God had given and God had proven and turn that blessing into a curse. And in order to keep that blessing that God's given you, you have to contend for the faith and you're going to have to contend for it in your own life because I'm telling you, the devil's going to try to take the curse. He's going to try to take your relationship with Jesus Christ. He's going to try to take everything that's been invested in you and everything you've been trying to do for God, and he's going to do everything he can to mess that thing up. You've got to fight for it. I'm sorry. That's the reality of the Christian life. It's a battle. And you've got to learn to fight. Because if you don't fight for it, then when you're sleeping, when the cat's away, the mice are going to play. One of the things we got to contend for is in verse number 5, he had prepared from a great chamber where aforetime, see that? They laid the meat offerings and the frankincense and the vessels and the tithes of the corn and the new wine and the oil which was commanded to be given to the Levites and to the singers and to the porters and the offerings of the priests. So what this idiot Eliashib did is he said, hey, listen, Tobiah, i got a spot for you. We're going to clean out this, this closet. We're going to turn this into your office. You're now somebody here. Hey, man, that thing was supposed to be set up to to support the people that give their lives for the ministry, that live and breathe the ministry. That's what that thing was set aside for. But you, in your little selfish agenda, decide you're going to kick out what that thing's intended for and put in who you want in. See, you've got to contend for the purity and for for the structure of the ministry. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you know you're part of that ministerial structure, like it or not, if you're saved and this is your home church? You're part of that structure. We've been looking at it on Sunday nights in 1 Corinthians. You're part of the body of Jesus Christ. You know what the devil wants to do? He wants to take your spot that you don't think is that important. Did you hear me? 
your spot that you don't think is that important and he wants to pull you out of your spot and put something else in there that has no business being in there. Some of you feel like, well, I don't do anything. You're part of, this is a family. Do you understand that? You realize not everybody in the family is mom and dad. Sometimes some of them in the family are just little kids outside on, you know, playing around, riding their bike, running, you know, kicking a ball around the yard, bugging the dog, aggravating their older siblings. Right? Listen, take that piece out of your family. Now think about it. What's that do to the whole family? You understand what I'm saying? I've had some time to reevaluate this week. I am telling you, that impacts the whole family. Why? Because every piece of the body is important. And when the devil tries to get at you to get you out of the proper structure that God's given your life, he's trying to get you to turn the blessing into a curse. You can get your nose bent out of shape and leave and go to another church, and I'm not trying to make you a captive. I'm not here to be a ruler of your faith, but a helper of your joy. And I'm trying to tell you that if you get upset here, you'll get upset somewhere else. It's just a matter of time. Look at verse 4. Before this, Eliashib, the priest, having the oversight of the chamber of the house of our God, was allied unto Tobiah. What happened? He made the wrong friends. People get real upset with me about preaching about your friends. But, you know, you're going to have to take it up with God at the judgment seat because he's the one that put it in the Bible. I didn't. It's politics in the church. It's the social aspect of church. Do you know your social beings? We're all social beings. You know, even those of us that tend to be a little less social, like some people just aren't as like into having lots of friends and always needing people around. Do you know that if they stick you out somewhere and put you completely alone, it'll mess with your mind? I've never been one that had like this long list of homeboys, you know. But like if I'm alone too long, I don't like it. Just go walk around the store where people are. Don't talk to me, don't look at me, don't say nothing to me, I'm good. But just like, there's something about you instinctively, you need people around you. So, politics comes into the picture. Friendships come into the picture. What are you going to do if the devil makes a breach on one of your friends in church? They get offended. They get angry. You know what the devil wants to do? He wants to take you out of your proper place so he can put something else in it. You got to contend you got to contend for the misappropriation of the house of God. God will, the devil will try to use the church in a way that's not appropriate, the misappropriation. What I'm saying is this. Politics have no place in church. You can't be the preacher's buddy and then get the position. That's what Elijah did. That ain't what the Holy Ghost of God does. You can't be like, well, I'm, you know, I'm good to the preacher. I know, I know deacons that all the time regularly bought the preacher gifts, gave the preacher money, bought him a new gun, bought him a new suit. You know why? Because the stinking, lying, dirty, rotten dog was embezzling money from the church. Look the other way, preacher. Look the other way, preacher. Look the other way. Thanks for the gun. <laughs> sorry, sorry, that was terrible. I would not. No, I'm a girl dad, and no, I promise. I have no record. But that ought to be the spirit of it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Politics in church. I want to remind you, listen, if you stay faithful, your best friends on the planet will sit next to you in these pews. Did you hear me? 
your best friends on the planet, the people that will really be there for you, will be sitting in these pews. But don't ever forget why you're really here. It ain't about the people in the pews. It's about him. I hope you come here because you said God speaks to my heart when pastor preaches the Bible and I'm getting what I need from those services and I'm drawing closer to Jesus Christ and that's why Bible Believers is my church, not my friends, my family, my acquaintances, my position. Forget all that garbage. Notice in verse number 7, I came to Jerusalem and understood the evil that Elisha did for Tobiah in preparing him. See that? A chamber in the courts of the house of God. You know what you're going to have to contend for as long as you want this blessing to stay a blessing? And so the blessing doesn't get turned into a curse? You're going to have to contend for the preparations of your heart. What I mean by that is this. What's your motive for being here? What had happened in verse 7 is Eliashib did some preparing in the house of God. Well, what is he preparing for? He's preparing something for Tobiah. He's saying, I got this spot for you. And I'm, it, it, was a, it, it ties into the politics thing. It was like the prep, his motives were all messed up. He's hooking up with Tobiah because of the family relations, because of who Tobiah was and the influence Tobiah had, all the people Tobiah was speaking to. And so now if I can kind of hook up with Tobiah, then I'm going to kind of like get myself in a better spot. His preparations were wrong. He was using church for the wrong reasons. Listen to me. Some people use church as a dating app. I'm here to tell you this morning, that's the devil. You didn't come here as a dating app. We're not just going to sacrifice our daughters on the sacrificial lamb of church members in the pews. That's not what this is about. Hit the road, Jack. Spent 18 years raising my oldest daughter. You think I'm just going to be like, oh, he's carrying a Bible and loves Jesus and compliments my preaching. You lost your mind, man. Oh, now they got a youth group. You lost your mind. A lot of guys look at you. Listen, I'm preaching right now. You ought to just kind of buckle in and wait for it, all right? A lot of guys are like, I need to go to one of them other churches because there's a lot more women in those churches. What do you think this is? Some kind of a spiritualized... Um, I won't say that. Yeah, but, but it's okay to say. You got a TV, so don't look at me all self-righteous about it. What do you think church is? What is the purpose for coming here? The purpose for coming here is not to get a husband or to get a wife, but with the help of Almighty God, you don't know what God will do, and you should look for it in the right place. There's nothing wrong with Christian kids saying, I'm looking for somebody that believes the Bible like I do, that's a born-again Christian like I do. Actually, it's right, and according to the Bible, it's wrong if you don't have those requirements. What I'm trying to say is, what is your motive for being in church? Because you know what the devil will do with some of you young men? Well, in those churches up the road, there's a whole lot more girls. I've heard it more than once. I'm not making it up. What was your reason for coming anyways? Because I'm, I'm sorry. I, I thought you were coming for the right reasons. I thought you wanted the Bible preached. I thought this is where the Lord had you. I thought you were truly trying to, really trying to serve Jesus Christ with your life. Don't you know he knows your needs? Don't you know he knows when you're ready? Don't you know he can provide your needs? But first and foremost, you need to make sure your heart's prepared when you come here for the right reasons. God, please speak to my heart. You know what I want to ask people when they say, well, I just didn't get anything out of that today. Well, I used to get so much out of his preaching, but, you know, something's going on and his preaching's just different now. You know what I want to say? 
Can I ask you one question? I'll, I'm going to say this pastorally, not preach. I'm preaching, but I'm also a pastor. So sometimes I, you know, people confuse the two. So let me say this pastorally. How much time did you spend in prayer before you came to church asking God to speak to you? If the answer is zero, I didn't spend any time at all really asking God to speak to me. Then let's hit the reset button and let's wait. Let's have a little experiment. This week, next week, for like a month, why don't you pray every time before you come and see if God actually gives you something? Because the problem might not be the preacher. The problem might be the preparation of your heart. So you've got to contend for the house of God. You've got to contend that that thing, that that place doesn't get misappropriated, misused. And in my opinion, 99 plus percent of the religions out there misuse what they call the house of God. And most of the Bible-believing churches, the people in there, have a struggle with misusing the house of God. What's the purpose? You've got to contend for this. Why? Because the devil wants to take something as wonderful as this and turn it into a curse. But God can take all the curses and turn them into a blessing. What's going to happen is that sin nature in people, you're going to get offended sooner or later. You're not going to get a position you wanted sooner or later. Some friend is going to change, go through a hard time, do something to hurt you, and you're going to have to make some decisions. The devil's going to try to get you to look at this place as a curse. I used to go to church, but you know the people in there, and I was treated bad, and they did this, and they did that, and they did, yep, he turned the blessing into a curse. But it didn't have to work that way. We all, every person in this room, have to deal with the pains, frustrations, difficulties, and struggles of living in a sin-cursed world. Some people get better. Other people get bitter. And it's all about the move you make. Whether God can turn the blessing into a curse, or whether you turn the blessing into a curse, or God turns the curse into a blessing. Notice in verses 10 through 14, he comes through and he puts everybody in their proper positions. He said, I perceived that the portions of the Levites had not been given them. For the Levites, then the singers that did the work, were fled everyone to his field. Then contended I with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. That's overseeing like he ought to. Um, Then brought all Judah the tithe of the corn and the new wine and the oils into the treasuries. And I made treasurers over the treasuries, Shemaliah the priest and Zadok the scribe, and of the Levites, Padaiah. And next to him was Hanan, the son of Zechar, and the son of Mataniah. For they were counted faithful, and their office was to distribute to their brethren. Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and wipe not out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for the offices thereof. So what had happened is as soon as Nehemiah set everything in its proper place and said, wait a minute, we've got this thing all off. We need to restructure it. We need to set it right. As soon as Nehemiah does that, all of a sudden the people go, oh, the idiot's out of there. And uh, the, 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 uh, the priest there, Eliashib, the priest, he got back under control because Nehemiah's back. He's not going to use what we try to give for his own benefit. All of a sudden, God starts pouring it out on him. God's people start saying, hey, listen, everything's straightened up in the house of God, and the blessing of God seems to be flowing again. Ain't that interesting? You're going to have to fight for that, keeping things in their proper place. Notice he contends for the purity of the house of God in verse number 9. Then I commanded, and they cleansed the chambers. 
And thither brought I again the vessels of the house of God with the meat offering and the frankincense. What he does is he says, listen, now that this thing got dirtied up again, now that some problems came in, we have to address those issues and we have to clean them up. The problem with most Christians today is they will not step back and say, listen, I got some dirt that kind of made its way back in. My house got a little, my, my house, my house, my house got a little dirty again. So some problems have crept their way back in here again. I was doing real good, but I allowed some things to make their way back into the house of God. Are you not the temple? Your body, the temple, the Holy Ghost? I let some things come back in, and I didn't realize they were coming. And before I knew it, I was kind of messed up again. You can't expect God to fellowship with you when you've got sin in your heart. He will fellowship with you when there's sin in your nature. Did you hear that? We're all sinners and God fellowships with sinners who have sin in their nature, but not when there's sin in your heart. And boy, that heart will just do that thing and just go off that way just like that. You're serving God and you're in the house of God and you think everything's fine. And God says, I can't, I'm not getting through. You got all that dirt in the way. I I want to talk to you right now, but I can't. You have to contend for the purity because it doesn't come naturally. Notice the purity of the actual house itself in verse number 9. He came in and cleansed the chambers. You realize that's part of my job as a pastor. That's part of our job as a church to say, listen, no, when it comes to church, no, we're not just dropping every standard that there is. Yes, sinners are welcome in church. Amen? I need to say that again. Half of you believe it. Sinners are welcome to come here. But there should come a point two, three, four, five years down the road where you're not the same as you were before. I want to reiterate it because it's a way the devil gets in people's heads. I want you to understand, we don't run people off because they have struggles. Even if they struggle for years, when you're struggling, it's a whole other thing to come in and start spreading your struggles around. Oh, come on, man, it's no big deal. It's natural, dude. It's a plant, man. God gave every herb of the field. Come on, bro. Yeah, well, cocaine is too. Where we draw those lines, buddy? I'll tell you where we draw the lines. We draw the lines as being separated from the world and being clean before God. And if it's a gray area, you can put it in your pipe and smoke it somewhere else. Amen. Because there's an expectation before God for us to be actually real. I want to be a real Christian. I want to be a genuine Christian. I want people to know whether they like me or not. Whether they agree with me or not. I want them to know that I ain't playing games. And I am what I... I want my children to know that their daddy at the dinner table is the same man that's in that pulpit. Not some kind of a two-faced, mealy-mouthed, slimy little punk charlatan. I want to be real before God and real before you. And that requires me going, what's in me that ain't right with him? I need it out. Why? Because God's given me a great blessing. It's my salvation. It's my Bible. It's my, the Holy Spirit of God. It's my family. It's my church. And I don't want to turn this blessing into a curse. I know preachers went to prison. And I hate to say this, but they deserved it and they needed to be there. Why? Because the devil turned the blessing into a curse. And that scares the fire out of me. Because I ain't any better than anybody else. 
You better keep it clean. You better keep those accounts short. You better stop making excuses for the infiltration of the devil into your mind and your heart and the dirtiness that starts to pop up. Because we're all wired the same way. He cleansed the actual house. In verses 15 through 21, we won't go through every verse, but you can look at it later. They actually cleansed the practices of the people because they'd been violating the Sabbath, and so then they went so far as to, he said, no, no more, lock the gates, don't open the gates at all on the Sabbath. So what they did is they camped around the outside. Nehemiah came out there and said, get away from here. What are you doing? Well, I'm not, I'm not in the church. I'm out, I'm out in the yard. You know what I appreciate about our church? There's always been people here that smoke with smoking, that, that struggle with smoking and all that kind of stuff. You know what nobody's done? Nobody goes outside and stands there by the car. And I appreciate that. If you have a problem with smoking, we love you anyways. Smoking won't send you to hell. It makes you smell like you've been there. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I appre- I, I got, I, I'm not running you out of the church over it. I appreciate you respecting how we feel and respecting our children and your testimony. You know, he is doing that. You know what they're doing? They're standing out around outside, you know. Well, we're not in the church. Well, we're out on the front porch, blankety-blanket. I mean, you can't talk like that in the house of God. What are you, what are you talking about, man? Like there's one thing in here, because it, it's sticks and bricks, it's drywall, it's lights, it's electrical. What are you talking about? No, we expect not just, you know, not just the letter of the law, it's the spirit of the law. He walked outside. He said, you guys ain't getting it, are you? What are you doing out here? Well, we're waiting for you to open the gates now that you've got to come in and be the heavy, heavy, legalistic. Get out of here. Why? Because you're just sitting there waiting for your chance to bust through that gate. You don't get the point. Move along. You say, well, that's pretty rough. Are you sure you're making that up? Well, look at verse 25. He said, I contended with them and cursed them and smote certain of them <laughs> and plucked off their hair. One of my favorite passages in the Bible. <laughs> you preach too hard. Oh, yeah? Let me show you. Let me show you one of God's men. Look at that one, you know? Right when you think you got a terrible pastor because he yells too much and stomps his foot and punches his pulpit once in a while, there you go. Go read that. I don't think he was blankety-blank you. What he was saying is you got the curse of God on you. Why? Because you won't get it right. And boy, he got after him. Why? Because to him, it was important. It was worth contending for. To him, he knew that Almighty God was watching that thing and the presence of God was on it. And to him, it was more important to please God than to please men. No wonder Nehemiah did such an amazing work with his life and God Almighty was on it and used him so greatly like he did. Hey, because he had something worth fighting for and he didn't want that blessing being robbed. By the sinfulness and the wickedness of human nature or the infiltration of the devil. It meant something to him. He contended for the separation of God's people. Verses 23 through 21. Those days also saw I Jews that had married wives of Ashdod and Amnon and of Moab. And their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. And then I showed you already that he contended with them. Look what he does in verse number 26. He says, Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations was there no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause to sin. 
You know what he gives them there at the end? He gives them an illustration of a, of a, really of a very horrifying nature. He's saying, folks, listen, don't you know who King Solomon is? Don't you remember the tremendous wisdom that King Solomon had? Think about that. Like, when I look at that illustration, I was talking to Grace about it, I think, this morning or something, or last night, maybe this morning. God gave him wisdom to look at other people and understand how to help them. Think about that. This is a little kid, man. This cream puff in his mouth, silver spoon his whole life. Daddy was the king. Puts him on a throne as a kid. No experience. Just a palace. What do you know about a couple of harlots living on the wrong side of town that have it unbelievably rough? That, by the way, we're harlots not because we're just like these nasty, filthy people, like everybody looks at us. We're actually in this place in our life because of things that happen to us from very early points in our life that nobody knows about. And I actually should talk to somebody and some people should go to jail but I'm so embarrassed, I didn't tell anybody. Sorry. Just trying to wake us up a little bit so that we're stopped being so hard on everybody all the time. Because we're holy rolling, church going, oh, those harlots. And this young man had so much of God on him and such a great life, he couldn't relate to them. Somebody come to me years ago and say, I need, I need to come to this church. I said, why? Well, because my preacher won't understand me because I had a hard time and I got some addictions and I think you're the kind of guy that can help me, but he can't. You know what I said? Go back to your church. Lester Roloff never smoked a cigarette, never drank a beer, never did a drug, and God used him to help countless people with his homes that had those issues. You don't need all this life experience and all this dope and all this fornication and all the rest of the stuff that goes on in this world to help people. You need wisdom from God. God put wisdom from God in that young man and he sat there and looked at these two women and he said, I know what to do. You guys are fighting over whose baby that is? Bring me a sword. I'll cut it in half. Then you can go home and quit fighting. Bring it up here. And one said, good idea. And the other one said, no, give it to her. And he said, that's the mom. See you later. I would never hurt a baby. (laughs) How'd you get that kind of wisdom? God. You know, God put more blessings on him than any king in Israel's history. Ever. It's been a long time since I looked at it. I didn't have time this week to to, uh, dig into all of it. But the equivalence of his riches, I think exceeds any riches of anybody on the planet you know right now. Amen. Thanks. Brother Yoakum said I'm right. That's amazing. Do you know that they say, Josephus and some of the historians say, by the end of Solomon's reign, and when you read the Bible, you know it's true. He was selling off parts of Israel in order to pay bills. The enemy, by the end of his reign, was beginning to encroach on Israel and the people came to his son and said, please ease the burden of Solomon, not the same attitude that they had when Sheba came and said, man, everybody loves you. Everybody's happy. Everybody wants to serve in this kingdom. The blessing of God is on this thing. This is amazing. No, in the end, they're saying, hey, would you please back off the burden your dad put on us? And he says, my finger will be thicker than my father's loins because he listened to his peers instead of the old men because he's an arrogant little punk who didn't want, nobody's going to tell me what to do. 
The police, huh? Why'd you pull me over? Give me a good reason why you pulled me over. MMA fighter just recently. Tasing, man. <laughs> Sorry, this isn't the 80s. You can't do that stuff anymore. That, that, yeah, that's what happened. Man. It became a curse. The devil turned the blessing into a curse. You know why? Because he wouldn't contend. He wouldn't fight Amen. to stay right with God, to stay where he was supposed to be, to keep doing what he's supposed to do, to keep under his body, to resist those temptations and back it off. He wouldn't fight. You know what the devil wants to do to you? He wants to get you tired of the fight. He wants to put so much pressure on you and keep pushing you and keep coming at you from so many angles that you just kind of get tired of it. And then what will happen is you'll drop your guard, you'll back off, you'll quit fighting, you'll quit trying because of all the pressure. And then before you know it, the blessings that God had given you, he can turn into a curse. Once you're saved and you've been in a Bible-believing church and you've begun to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, you really have nowhere to go. Like the disciples, Lord, where will we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. You got nowhere to go. If you don't take the blessing God's given you and treat it serious and protect it and fight for it, then the blessing will get turned into a curse. Wonderful thing that marriages, right? Just got married. It's wonderful. Three years, wonderful. 20 years. The Deatons aren't here, but 40-something years, more than I've been alive. It's a great thing. It's a treasure. It's wonderful. It can get turned into a curse if you don't fight for it. But listen, it already did get turned into a curse. Okay. You know who God is? He's so amazing. He's such a great father. When you take him, any curse, I don't care what your curse is, maybe nobody knows. Maybe you've never told anybody about your curse. You take any curse you got and you bring it to God. You know what he can do? He can turn that curse into a blessing. I don't really know how. I can't tell you how. Give it to him and wait on him and watch. He'll turn your curse into a blessing. I'm done. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.